Well, welcome everybody. Uh, aloha. This is uh, Dr. Michael Sala, and I'm very pleased to be with uh, Elena Danan, who has some really interesting information to share with us about an interview she did with a super soldier who uh, was active um, in the 1970s and 80s in Singapore and Malaysia, and uh, her interview with him uh, covered a lot of territory. So I would just want to welcome you, uh, Elena, to ExoPolitics today. Thank you, Michael. I'm very honored to be on your show. Thank you. Yes. Well, uh, this interview really got my attention uh, because uh, of his uh, testimony, but then uh, he he passed away in very unusual circumstances, and, and there is a, um, a notice on your website where you posted uh, in memory of Stephen Chual, where you gave his full details and him passing away. So why don't you just share with us you know, what, what happened with Stephen? Well, um, I, met, I, I met Stephen. Um, I, I was approached by a, a group, a spiritual group in Canada, Collective Consciousness, and just for spiritual things. And he was part of it. And I, I suddenly felt a lot of suffering coming from this person. And um, I asked to contact him uh, personally to offer him some healing and uh, psychic readings and stuff like that. And he was delighted. And we start to conversation and exchange by email. And um, he said to me that he worked in Area 51. I went, oh, my, um, that's all I could see all this is trauma. And um, and uh, we start this conversation, this exchange by email, and he started telling me things about it. Uh, and I went, wait a minute. Um, I, I wrote a book because I'm an experiencer and I got uh, information from my, 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 my extraterrestrial contact. And it absolutely matches everything that you, you, you say. And then um, I asked him a question. I went, uh, my, in, in my experience, I was told about a person called uh, Dr. Jenkins to contact in area 51 at the time i was 16 years old i was totally frightened and i didn't do anything about it would you know about this person he got back to me and he said yes of course i met a dr jenkins uh, a professor jenkins and he was in area 51 and he was sent by the vatican i went okay and we we, we didn't have exchange for a while, uh, maybe a month or two. And suddenly he sent me an email two weeks ago and saying, I'm ready to speak. Please, if you want to interview me, I let you deal with all the YouTube stuff. I need to speak now. Uh, let's do it. And I went, all right. I have a YouTube because I have a YouTube channel. I went, all right, let's do it. Okay. Are, are, are you sure? Uh, are you feeling safe for that? He said, oh, you know, I've looked over my shoulder all my life and uh, I really want to, to, to do it, please. So I went, okay. We recorded this, um, this interview, but before, um, before we recorded it, he said he was attacked. Um, energetically he had blackouts 
and he, he suddenly um, he, he wasn't feeling safe. And he was speaking about mitra extraterrestrials, which are tall greys. Um, I said, last chance to redraw. Stefan, do you want, are you okay? He said, please, let's do it as soon as possible. So we recorded this interview. He told me everything about his life in area, his experience in Area 51, his experience in Malaysia uh, fighting um, uh, reptile beings in caves um, and everything. And then um, I, I said to him after the interview, it was a Friday night. I said, okay, let me edit it to hide your picture and do it anonymously and put some editing on it say so, okay but be quick on the, the 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 tuesday he said he sent me another email he said will you please uh, hurry up and put it up so i said okay are you sure yes i put it up and uh, on the tuesday night in the middle of the night i aired it on youtube uh, and uh, on the saturday i received an email from his family saying that he passed he passed passed away okay so so just to be clear here so you you did an interview with him on february 26 which was a, a friday yes and um he urged you to publish the interview on your youtube channel as quickly as possible yes uh, because he was starting to experience some symptoms of some kind of sickness yes and um and, and so you aired the interview on March 2nd, live streamed it. Yes. And then um, on March 3rd, essentially the, the, the day after your interview with him went live, uh, you got the email from his family saying that he was dead. On the Saturday. On the Saturday. On, on the, the Saturday. Saturday. Well, I mean, that obviously is, is very, very suspicious uh, the timing and and the fact that he was in such a hurry for you to publish the interview, do do you think he was aware that uh, the contents of his interview was something that was uh, putting his life at risk? Yes, yes, and I gave him many times a chance to 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 redraw and not doing it, but he was so determined, you know. So I went okay. Okay. You know? So, so, so it was really, you know, you, you were concerned, you, you felt that there was something uh, dangerous here for him, and, but you gave him the opportunity. But he, he felt that this was important, uh, that you know, almost like his last contribution or that he was really seeing that this was um, something he wanted to offer humanity, the yes. information that he had to share, and he was willing to take the risk and he paid the price. For that yes and it is horrible for me as well because you know um and um well i i, I gave him the, the the choice many times and he was very determined and um mm -hmm. you know because he trusted me uh because we were starting to be friends and uh, i was an experiencer i had contact as well so he knew i believed him and um it just happened like this because mm -hmm. I was there at that moment. Mm -hmm. that, that was all, you know, I was there at the right moment. And I was a person he trusted in that very moment, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's how it happened. And I, I oh, my God. Mm -hmm. so, so he was someone that 
had really important experiences uh, as a super soldier, shared those experiences with you, encouraged you to publish those experiences, knowing full well that his life was at risk. And um, only a short time after the interview was aired, um, he was dead in suspicious circumstances. And and he had essentially intimated to you that... um, uh, this this was a possibility that uh, he could be killed for sharing this. He didn't say that, but uh, he, he, he was, I, I suppose he was feeling threatened mm-hmm. um, because I, I, I told him, are you feeling safe? And even I say it during the interview, are, are you really feeling safe? You know, um, he says, oh, like whatever, you know, I've been looking over my shoulder of my life, so... <laughs> You know, and mm-hmm. uh, he he looked so calm, so calm in this interview, like released of a burden. He just released it out of him. It was like, mm-hmm. I, I took it out of him because he was really damaged. You know, they, they really mm-hmm. damaged him. Um, and you know, I as I, I say in a little word, I wrote on my my channel. Uh, uh, Stefan was a sniper, and I I say, may his last shot be his best may he be the the whistleblower that just collapsed the building you know because he must be honored for his his courage honestly Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so so you are in touch with his family and uh, and and maybe his family will be able to share more information is that something you're, you're willing to do you know i mean because he says that he worked with the singapore military for for 10 years which is when he had these experiences and, and that he reached the, the rank of colonel yes. um, at a very young age uh, because of his special abilities. So he, he was certainly someone quite exceptional. So, I mean, any, I, I don't know if there's documentation or anything that his family is willing to share with you. I mean, that, that, would, that would help because I think his case and, and the information he had to share is, is very important. It, it, definitely dovetails with a lot of what I've been uh, researching recently. And I know what you've also covered in your book. Yes, absolutely. Well, he he confirms uh, things that are in my book, which is uh, a plus, you know, but um, indeed I, um, I've been contacted by his family. Uh, I don't want to expose them, but I have, I am waiting at the moment further uh, information, um, they, I think he's still in autopsy. They haven't yet uh, come up with a verdict. Um, I am waiting for, for answers. And I've asked for um, informations regarding to his military service here and there, whatever they could provide, you know. So I'm waiting for these informations. Mm-hmm. And that's all I can say for the moment. Yes, that's, that's great. So I encourage uh, listeners, uh, viewers, to, to watch the interview that Elena did with, uh, with uh, Stevie. It, um, it's online, and I'll put the, uh, the location in the description for this interview. But now I thought maybe it'd be good if we just cover some of the kind of like points yeah. um, in the interview you did with, with Stevie that uh, uh, was so important that he felt compelled to share this with you and, and get it out and, and that kind of experience that unburdening that, that you described. Well, um, he, he said that he was recruited into the uh, Singaporean military um, at 18, general conscription uh, that 
is mandatory there. Uh, and and that uh, and then eventually he was approached by officers associated with the prime minister's office in Singapore because of his very high IQ test scores. Um, so 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 what happened when he got recruited by the office of the prime minister of Singapore? What what sort of things did do you remember him saying happened? Well, first he was confronted to um, because he was he had um, I would say psychic abilities, but I would say um, he was very intelligent and um, he he was very sharp, very very intelligent, and a soldier. And they sent him on the the most tricky missions. So um, he told me about. Um, Two mis- three missions uh, where he, were, he was involved in um, military missions, operations, where uh, he was confronted to reptilian beings, human hybrid reptilians or de- totally reptilians. And he used the words, the names, Sikar. And Sikar is a word I have been given. And I discovered as well that uh, Alex Collier just used the same name to, to, to. It's, it's so real. It's so confirmi- confirming every, every, everyone's. So uh, he, um, he was involved in protecting um, who was the Pakistan uh, prime minister at the time who visited uh, Malaysia. Um, was it? Benazir Bhutto. Benazir Bhutto, yes. So he was involved in uh, protecting her because the prime minister in Malaysia had received a message from the CIA that there could be an attempt of assassination of this, this prime minister, uh, Benazir Bhutto. So he was involved in um, close bodyguarding her, uh, this person. And, uh, well, something happened that uh, three uh, people uh, tried to... to, to uh, to kill her um but um uh and uh they ran after them they killed two of them and the third one stefan approached this one he, they caught him and he approached this this uh assassin and he could see scaly skin um and that he he, he looked human from far but from close he had a reptilian skin and he was very shocked and so this uh, being was caught and taken away and he didn't know where they took him away. That was the first contact with the reptilian being. Then um, he was also uh, called to uh, on an operation, I think it was, he said it was in China, or I don't remember, um, uh, where there was one of these reptilian beings ter- terrorizing the populations. Japan, uh, I think that was. Uh, Japan, Japan. Thank you, thank you. There's so many, so much thing in this interview, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still in shock. So uh, uh, he got to catch this being, and this being uh, escaped in um, flying saucer that landed. Uh, metallic gray said flying so- saucer. Uh, he, he, he went in and the, 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 the saucer took off. So that was very shocking. Um, then and these were uh, these were Sakars in that flying saucer or were these just the yes, uh, reptilian. reptilian human hybrids? Uh, I think it was 
I don't remember what he said. I think it was Sikar. It was a reptilian being anyway. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. No, sorry. I, I, I really apologize. It was a hybrid because he, he, he said that this one didn't have a tail because the hybrids don't have tails mm-hmm. and the Sikars have a tail, the original ones. Mm-hmm. He said that. So it was a hybrid. Um, third thing. Children were disappearing in uh, East Malaysia, Malaysia uh, a lot, and he was sent to investigate with his team, and um, they were sent into. Can, can I just interrupt you there, Elena? Just just to clarify something. Yes. Um, because I remember him saying something about working for the office of the Singapore Prime Minister. Yes. Uh, so so what what might be confusing is why is he doing missions in Malaysia? Was there a relationship between the Singapore Prime Minister and the Malaysian Prime Minister? Did their militaries cooperate? Because this was in the in the nineteen seventies, and Singapore and Malaysia had separated as two. In the or Singapore had seceded from Malaysia. So I don't know. Okay, okay, all right. But but essentially, he, he can you confirm he was working with the office of the Prime Minister of Singapore or of Malaysia? Because I remember I, him saying yeah. Singapore. So it must be, I think it's Singapore. Okay. To be really, really clear, it, I think it's Singapore. I can't get this confirmed by his family. But oh. um, because he, he speaks very fast and very, uh, you yes. know, it's, it, it's difficult sometimes to understand. Um, so, um, yeah, he went, was, he was sent in these caves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said it's big, huge caves where a pl- plane can fly in. And um, they they came face to face with what he called a sikar, reptilian, full reptilian being. And he said he was ter- terrorized, because, even though he was brave. He said that's terrorizing to see one. He describes it with the, the, the face, with the, the, all the, the teeth and, and everything. And he said the clothes. And he, he said they had they have a claw here another claw here for combat he said um and he, he had a gun and a beam uh, energy gun and he was pulverized this being was pulverizing rocks so they, they had difficulty to hide anywhere because he was shooting at them and the rocks would explode uh, and uh, so they got this being by um, S- Stefan was a sniper and uh, he had a special device with nuclear uh, a nuclear gun you know uh, with protons I, I, I absolutely not knowledgeable in these things so I just repeat what he said <laughs> maybe it makes more sense for other people um, and this, this uh, nuclear uh, weapon just um it collapsed the, 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 the cave and uh, the side of the mountain, and uh, that was the end of it. So uh, that's what he said. Okay. So, so this was um, the incident with, uh, he, I think he said there were three, a group of three Sakars that, that were fully body armed and, and, and that there were children that were missing. Yes. Uh, so, so, so the Sakars were essentially i think uh kidnapping children yes. and using them for whatever whatever they do there in these yep. huge caverns and yep. and so there was a, a kind of firefight that he and his team had with the, the these uh, sakars 
Yes. And and when they came back the later, whether it was the next day in a helicopter, especially quick helicopter, the, the cavern and the mountain where it was uh, under was all had been collapsed. So, so the cars had destroyed that facility and, and covered up. So it kind of confirms what a lot of people have been saying that Sakars uh, come uh, to certain areas and they start becoming active, whether it's uh, kidnapping people, uh, fighting soldiers, and, and then they leave. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, that totally matches with uh, all legends uh, in Asia and this area in Asia, especially in Nepal and Tibet, where the people have legends about um, snake people, snake demons living in the caves and having confrontation with monks and, you know, stories like this. So uh, that confirms uh, local ancient legends. Mm -hmm. Well, I recently did an interview with a Brazilian author, Fabio Santos, who uh, oh, yeah. was was working, had co-written a book with a Brazilian super soldier. And, and he said that uh, he was part of a planetary intervention force that was sent to fight with or monitor or engage or, pro or provide protective services for VIPs. Um, in situations involving extraterrestrials. Yeah. Um, and so he described uh, similar incidents to what Stevie or what Stephen uh, encountered. But, you know, Stephen's experiences very much match this Brazilian super soldier's experiences in providing kind of uh, protective services to VIPs in situations involving extraterrestrials. You know, he, he, he described, and, and that's what Stephen says he was doing that uh, yeah. he, he did it for the uh, for the prime minister's office in pro providing protection for the yeah. for Benazir Bhutto that yeah. this is one of their jobs you know to provide protection and also to fight against uh, yeah. or or to fight against some of the extraterrestrials that go into these areas yeah this is amazing yeah absolutely wow yeah yeah, yeah, that's exactly what he told me. He, he was uh, asked to do this this job, this job of protection. And the CIA probably knew, you know, the CIA doesn't have a good name when we start to talk mm -hmm. about these things. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, many of the things that uh, Stephen described in terms of uh, his his special skills, his training, and, and then being sent off to do these uh, special missions around the world with different governments. I mean, he did it in Malaysia. He went to China. He went to Japan. And so it seems that the, the world leaders have a network of these super soldiers that are trained to engage or fight or interact with extraterrestrials, and they draw upon this international network. Um, and, and this is what was happening with, with Stephen, which matches this Brazilian super soldier that Fabio Santos uh, wrote wrote the book with. So you know we we have independent sources saying that th there is this uh, planetary intervention force of highly trained uh, special forces soldiers who go and do the bidding of world leaders um, in situations involving extraterrestrial life and technology. Wow! Yeah, I'm impressed. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So um, and. He said then, then shortly after, uh, he was approached by um, um, 
kind of a committee. He, he had difficulty to name it. Uh, it. They were coming from America. And I said, was it the CIA? He said, no, it's something darker and more hidden. And either he he didn't want to say it or he, he didn't know. He said he didn't know, but I was sensing in you and he didn't want to. He was too scared to tell it. So I didn't insist. Um, so an organization uh, linked with the U.S. came to approach him and um, did four IQ tests to, in, to, to him, to recruit him. Uh, they told him, oh, it's because we, you, you are so good, we want to send you to university in England. And I said, okay, right, I do this test. And he passed this IQ test. And it, because it came out that um, Stefan had um, cognitive abilities, uh, he could uh, create a, a very powerful amount of gamma uh, waves with his brain. And that was interesting, inter interesting, uh, the, these secret services. So uh, then uh, shortly after, uh, the prime minister for whom he was working uh, said to him, oh, I received a... Uh, an order for from these people uh, that they want to borrow you to work uh, in Area 51. And uh, they wanted to have it for like ever, but the prime minister of Singapore, he wanted, yeah, it was Singapore. Uh, he wanted to, uh, he didn't want to let him go because he, <laughs> he wanted to keep him. He said, okay, I allow you only two weeks to have him for two weeks. So, um, but that these two weeks, I mean. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that's a, that's a, so. We will get to his Area Fifty One experiences shortly, uh, but I, I really want to kind of like emphasize this point that even though Stephen was working with the office of the of the Prime Minister of Singapore, because this was dealing with extraterrestrial life that he would often be sent off to these different countries, uh, whether it was China, Japan, Malaysia, uh, to engage uh, with uh, extraterrestrials that are interacting amongst us. And, you know, even though this, this kind of matches the testimony of other super soldiers, but also wanted to point out that this also matches with uh, what the Prime Minister of Russia uh, Vladimir Medvedev said in 2012 in, in, the, in a hot mic incident, he said that there was a, um, a, a force or an or a organization that monitored uh, extraterrestrials living amongst humanity. And, and he said that this was uh, an organization that he, that the officer, the president of uh, Russia would be briefed about when he came into power. He would receive uh, two folders or two files, one deal dealing with the nuclear codes for their weapons and the other dealing with uh, extraterrestrials amongst us and, and, an org and a worldwide organization monitoring extraterrestrials. So, so we have here the Russian, former Russian president Medvedev confirming that there is this worldwide uh, organization uh, set up of, to, to monitor and interact with extraterrestrials living amongst us. And then we have these super soldier accounts like uh, with uh, Stephen and with this Brazilian uh, super soldier as well, confirming that this planetary organization exists. 
Yes. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, when when he speaks about this um, organization, secret organization uh, that hired him, um, maybe it is uh, linked to it. I don't know. Just mm -hmm. supposition. Okay. All right. So, so, so Stephen had these special skills. He's working with this uh, world organization uh, as, on behalf of the Singapore Prime Minister's office to do different things. And then at, at a certain point, uh, some Americans noticed that he has this unique ability uh, in emitting gamma rays. And that's somehow related to a pilot being able to interact with the technology of flying saucers or any gravity craft. So he goes to Area 51 and gets trained. So you want to cover a little bit what, what happened at Area 51, who Stephen met and, and, and what his experiences were there? Yes. So um, as soon as he arrived there, he was, um, they told him that he would be hired and trained very quickly to pilot an F-15 plane, F-15F, he said, plane. Uh, and uh, that it is a program uh, aimed to pilot these planes with by thought, by thought. So they mm -hmm. were developing, studying, and developing this technology of uh, piloting uh, planes by thought, by by the mind. To the the reason why uh, it's because it's it's response faster. Uh, and uh, the, the, it's more reliable and faster uh, in combat uh, than having to rely on mechanic uh, controls. So that was the, the purpose uh, of it. Um, so that was why he was hired there to uh, experiment with him this and develop this, this abilities. Because as Stephen said, um, they, so how was it happening? They were injecting a serum in the pilots that this serum was um, super activating the brain functions. But the problem is that uh, all the pilots were dying after a while because the, it was mushing the brain like mush. Uh, and he he so he was passing all the tests. He was strong and he was he didn't die from it, but. And you know it was heavy thing to do, um, and uh, he, so he he speaks about uh, how he was put in the plane and with all how this mm -hmm. was working. Um, so that's what he was doing there. Um, then um, when he arrived, uh, he so he said uh, there's a huge protection around area area fifty one, huge. But once you're in it, you kind of uh, free to go wherever you want, more or less, because it's so protected from outside. So you you're okay inside. Um, uh, you you can't get out, can't get in, can't get out. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, so as soon as he arrived, he was with uh, military guards, and uh, they were carrying super heavy weapons inside. And Stefan asked, he said, "Why are you?" Uh, carrying just one question, carrying these weapons inside, uh, what for? And one guy told him, oh, it's to, uh, to protect you against the, 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 the greys. He said, what greys? He said, oh, the, the alien greys, the, uh, the, the alliance of the greys, the alliance of the greys, the alliance, alliance, no, sorry, the grey alliance, the grey alliance. 
And that's how it just was a revelation. There are ETs in there and there are greys. So the gray alliance is an alliance of gray races that are very malevolent uh, to, 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 humans, to humans on earth. You know, they, they are from Orion. So, um, and then uh, during his time there, he met three different ET races there, which were not benevolent at all. And they were working closely with uh, the, the, the military there. Mm-hmm. So uh, we need to first clarify that um, when we're talking about Area 51, we're talking about the S4 facility there, because Area 51 has two facilities. One is a uh, one is at uh, Groom Lake, which is where they built the uh, spy planes for the Air Force and the Navy, and that's a kind of cover program. But at Papoose Lake, they have the S4 facility where they have the where they have the flying saucers, the ETs, and all of this really highly advanced uh, anti-gravity developments going on. But what I thought was very interesting in the uh, interview with Stevie was that uh, he he said that uh, the the greys were not very good themselves at building technology, that they really relied on humans to build the technology. The greys were were good at kind of like sharing the information on, on how to do it, but they weren't so good at building it. Can you just explain what was going on there? The first word he employed was lazy. But that tells a lot because um, Grace had workforce there, humans who were very happy to know to learn how to build this ship, you know? Mm-hmm. So why would they do the job themselves? They were just employing workforce there. And they of what I understood of what Stefan was, how he was describing these beings, they were very um, superior behavior, like, like we, we, are, you, we are superior and you, you humans are just, you know, slaves or like primitive beings. That was the attitude they had. So it's totally understandable. They, they surely can build their own ship, but it's totally understandable that they were taking advantage of getting the humans there uh, happy to build these things for them, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's what I understood. Yes, so that's a very important point because it means that this alliance, you know, we're, we're talking about the Grey Alliance, the Sakars, the Reptilians, uh, they, they have really advanced technologies, but they aren't good at building the technologies themselves. What they're good at is uh, forcing... Uh, other races, um, in particular humans, uh, whether we're talking humans on Earth or human-looking races elsewhere in the galaxy, uh, to build these technologies, they, they're kind of like conquerors. They, they kind of come in, they conquer a place, they, they get the, in, the, the people there to build uh, new technologies um, which will help them move forward in their, conqu- in their planetary conquests. Yes, indeed. And um, as Stefan could confirm, the tall greys are using the small greys as a slave workforce. But the small greys are mainly all um, clones and uh, uh, there are few uh, original biological small greys left. They're all cloned and synthetic life forms and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this kind of matches with one of the things that uh, uh, I got from interviewing uh, Corey Good, who says that um, 
that humans are building um, on Mars, uh, like t advanced technologies that they trade with up to 900 different extraterrestrial races. That, that he says he, that was what he was told by a manager of a corporate facility on Mars, that they were building technology and trading it with up to 900 different ET civilizations. So, you know, that kind of like what, what you experienced or what Stevie told you kind of corroborates that, that the, the ETs aren't great at building technologies themselves, that they rely on subservient races like humans to build it for them. Yes, indeed, Michael. And uh, St Stefan, uh, at the end of the interview, just blew my mind when he starts to speak about, speak about Mars, saying that he, one day he met uh, technician people. He said, not military, uh, technicians uh, um, trained to, to build. Mm -hmm. uh, coming out of a, a shuttle, this shuttle co was coming back from Mars. And I went, what? The shuttle was coming back from Mars, bringing back human earthling technicians who told him that they, they were there to build facilities for ETs. And um, so these, uh, these, uh, these technicians were describing the bad conditions of the, 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 the flights, that it was very rough. Um, then that their uh, reptilian uh, reptilian race uh, was uh, their boss to build this the facility they were coming from, but that there was there were all also gray races. There were many many people out there on Mars, but basically um, Mars belongs to aliens and they use humans to build their facilities. And uh, there are some kind of treaties that humans can have their own uh, facility there, but it's just under the, the, the direction of these ETs. Mm -hmm. And he was saying something, this technician to, uh, to Stephen, um, oh, if you don't do how they, uh, they ask you, they throw you outside and you die in two minutes. Mm -hmm. That's what you were saying. Yeah, that's very important. Uh, these agreements uh, with uh, extraterrestrials and uh, human leaders, uh, th that's one of the things uh, that uh, really got my attention about um, claims that these agreements go back to uh, around 600 AD where the, uh, there was agreements reached between human leaders and extraterrestrials, where the extraterrestrials would no longer openly appear, you know, they wouldn't go into cities and be worshipped as gods, but now they would operate behind the scenes secretly, just communicate with world leaders, and they would go to different places where they would uh, fight with soldiers or, or, or take people. That, that, that These agreements go back over a thousand years. Do you know anything about these agreements going back that far? I have been told, uh, yes, that there are there were agreements with reptilian races now, very very long time ago, um, and there has been a second wave of agreements with the Grey Alliance mm -hmm. uh, in 1954 and around it. Mm -hmm. uh, that was made with uh, the AMJ12. 
Mm-hmm. Eisenhower tried to stop it. It wasn't okay with that. Mm-hmm. So I have had that confirmed many times. Oh, good. So that's important that uh, these agreements with the reptilians uh, predate the agreements that were reached um, in 1954, 55 with President Eisenhower and the Grey Alliance, that the agreements with the reptilians go back much, much further. Some people say up to around 600 AD. Um, and, and that kind of would explain you know, situations like what Stephen was describing, where you would have these reptilians um, operating in places like Japan and China and uh, Malaysia, abducting children and 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 having fights with soldiers, and and the world doesn't hear about it. It's it's all done secretly. So it's it's confirming that these leaders keep it secret amongst themselves, and and when they have a situation that they contact this organize this worldwide organization to get super soldiers sent to go into these areas and find and engage with the extraterrestrials or the sakars yes that totally matches with what stefan uh, says yeah that that is that is that is really incredible information so um i mean unfortunately you you only were able to interview uh, Stephen one um do, do you have any kind of sense, like what what else um, he had to share, or what it is that um, m- may have led to him being uh, targeted by this planetary organization? Well, he was saying that they had tried to wipe his mind, his mm-hmm. memory, uh, before let him allowing him to leave Area Fifty One. But Stephen had a very special uh, mind abilities. So he was able to remember a big part of it. But he was saying to me that he was working very hard to try to remember all the rest because he was saying that he was suspecting that the Mitras, these tall greys, had done something to him and he couldn't uh, put the finger on it, you know. And um, he was fearing them, really. Um so he was after after the interview he was he was saying to me or just no after the interview yes uh, i sent him an email to say oh um here is the the recording of the the raw zoom meeting and i'm going to edit it and maybe in the future uh, you you if you have more things coming we can do a second interview and he replied uh we will see i will I will think about that. So he wasn't sure. But I knew that in the same time, he was working hard to, to, to try to find his memory. So, you know, he, I'm sure he would have had other elements coming. But I think they didn't want him to, to say more. You know, um, probably. Uh, I think he, yes, he, he felt the moment because it, it, the, the tone of the emails changed. Is, we were talking about spiritual things and healing and uh, uh, the power of the mind and things like that. And we were not talking about Area 51 anymore because I knew it was something that was too hard for him. I, I just allowed it to go. But suddenly one day after two months, no news, I'm ready to speak. Let, is, let us do it as fast as possible, as quick as possible. I'm ready. I'll let you organize YouTube. 
suddenly, I don't know what happened. Suddenly he was probably feeling threatened in some way. He said he had blackouts. Um, when when he sent me an e this email, the last email on the, the, the Tuesday following the, the interview, so uh, four, uh, four days just after the, the, the interview, saying, I, 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 I praise you, please, to put this interview live, however it's edited or not, edited or not. He said, because I have blackouts and nose bleedings. I went, oh, my gosh. And I replied, are you really sure? And he said, please, please. Okay, so he was really intent on getting that information out. Yes, yes. There seemed to be something happening uh, that was very suspicious behind yeah. the scenes. So we do know that there is this international organization that has super soldiers um, trained to find and monitor and engage and have firefights with uh, extraterrestrial entities all around the world. And uh, by revealing his secrets, uh, this it's, I, th I think it's probably it's very possible that this organization uh, wanted to stop him from revealing more. Maybe. Pro probably that would be uh, really make sense. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Okay. Well, um, I, Elena, I just wanted to give you the opportunity to, to maybe share a little bit about where people can find out more about you and the, and the work that you do in raising awareness of extraterrestrial life on, on planet Earth. So uh, please just tell people where they can go. And Thank you. Uh, I have a YouTube channel, Elena Danan, where I put everything I know on it. Um, so there are on interviews and there are uh, contact with uh, extraterrestrial beings. Um, but um, what is, I think, really helps as well, it's a book I have written, A Gift from the Stars. Um, well, I, I have it, i just show you quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, it's only on Amazon uh, at the moment, but that's it. Um, so... <clears throat> I tell in this book my uh, my uh, personal experience of being abducted by grey aliens and rescued by Nordics, and uh, so I tell everything about it and the knowledge I gain from it. What they told me. So uh, this is uh, available on Amazon, and that's how you can um, know about me. Thank you, Eleanor. Well, I, I definitely would like to do a follow up interview and uh, talk about your book and some more experiences that you've had. Uh, you know, I'm particularly interested in uh, what you have to share about Valiant Thor. Oh, yeah. Um, and his experiences. But we'll cover that in another interview. So I want to thank you for, for coming and being a part of uh, Exopolitics today. Mahalo. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you. <laughs>